0: Uh, the other day, I was out uh, with a chainsaw, cutting down a tree. Because, right, this is what like men do. Uh, yeah. So, now, don't give me too much credit because I had to borrow the chainsaw. I don't own my own chainsaw yet. Uh, but I'm I'm cutting down this tree, and then all of a sudden, I turn around. And I see a man who is dressed in a suit and a woman uh, in a dress, and they're coming up right behind me, right up the steps to get up to our house. And so I turn around and I rev up the chainsaw and start chasing them away because it's October, right? Uh, creepy things your pastor does uh, that's not actually what I did I, I shut I the chainsaw off and I had seen these people before and I said hey how are you doing and they said well we're doing good how is Miss Emily, Emily is my wife's name And uh, I said, well, Miss Emily is doing good. And he said, well, you have a son named Judah, too, don't you? And I said, yes. And they said, well, how is he doing? I said, well, he's been a a little sick this week. And I said, my little girl is looking out the window right here. And uh, she's doing all right, too. And he said, well, that's that's great. He said, I I don't want to keep you. I was just stopping by to give you this. He said, I know you believe in in Jesus, but um, I wanted you to have this. This pamphlet talks about... um, Uh, If Jesus existed, if Jesus really existed, and I said, well... Thank you uh, for this. And, um, you know, I'm I'll, sure I'll, I'll see you another time here. He said, Yeah, I don't want to keep you. I know you're busy. Now, some of you have had an experience like this. You might not have been like chopping down a tree while they came up behind you with a chainsaw. But you've had the people knock on your doors with these pamphlets to give to you. Uh, they made it said Watchtower at the top of it. And there are these people called, like, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, Jehovah basically is a word um, used for God. And so, in your Bibles, when you're reading through the Old Testament and you see the word Lord, um, typically the way the Jehovah's Witnesses translate that is they translate that to God and so they think God has this proper name called Jehovah. Now, most scholars believe that word actually is pronounced Yahweh now, but that's besides the point. Um, Either way, they are showing up because they are witnesses on behalf of God and want to talk about God. And so... I set that pamphlet down and I began to think about that, like that question, uh, did Jesus really exist? I, I thought I'm not sure that's the question that, that most people are asking. Like, like did Jesus exist? I, I think most people believe, that Jesus existed. I mean, this is—it's a, it's, a, it's pretty much a historical fact. As much as you could prove history, um, Jesus' existing is a, is a historical fact. I mean, we don't have a picture of him, you know, it's not like we have videos like we do today or whatever, but his existence is not something that I think is really something that popular culture questions. But rather a better question I think they could have helped answer and was, what differentiates us between perhaps the Jehovah's Witness is who is Jesus? This is a question that we all have to deal with. is Who is Jesus? Because depending on who Jesus is depends on how we treat Jesus. You see, a Jehovah's Witness is, is going to... Show up to talk about who God is, who Jehovah is, and they are going to tell you that Jesus is not Jehovah, that Jesus is not God, and maybe some of you had some other people knock on your doors. They're typically in a suit as well, and they may have an "elder" before their name, and they're from the the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter Day Saints. Right? They're Mormons, um, and they have. Something that they want to talk to you about too And they're going to talk to you about Jesus But but Jesus isn't God Or rather He's a God He's somebody who through his time In the spirit world with God Started out as a man and then progressed To God And to be honest there's not a whole lot of a difference Between you and Jesus When it comes down to it and the way that you view Jesus because you too will Progress to become a God And what they believe and then You know, obviously, uh, Muslims are talked about and they're in the news a lot. They, too, believe in Jesus and his existence, but they merely believe that he's a prophet. uh, That he is one of God's prophets, but he is not even the final prophet. That Muhammad is a greater prophet even than Jesus himself. And to say that Jesus is God is blasphemy, right? It's something that you would be persecuted for, certainly uh, told that you are incredibly wrong about. So the question for us, I think, that is greater to answer is who is Jesus? And so I went ahead and did a little research. I just wanted to see, like, what are, what are people saying about Jesus kind of in culture? And I was able to find this. So go to the next. So most people most people believe that Jesus was a person who actually lived. Right? So that's good news. Uh, most Americans, and these are Americans, most Americans are not uh, just flat out ignorant about this piece of information. Jesus did exist. This is why I don't think the pamphlet that I was handed is really that helpful. Now, uh, what's kind of troubling is about 13% of my generation and younger uh, believe that Jesus didn't exist. Uh, and so, like my generation and younger uh, is in the in in the most dark uh, when it comes to this subject. and need just to kind of just study a little bit of history. But the more important question is this next question here. Is, do I believe that Jesus is God? Um, and really, over half the population believes that Jesus is God. Or at least we'll check that off in the box. Once again, my generation and younger, under half, believe that Jesus is God. 26% of the general population believes that Jesus is merely a good moral teacher, and I think about 18% um, will say of the general population are just unsure about who Jesus is or was or said he was. So who is Jesus? One of my goals this morning is to convince you if you don't believe already that Jesus is God, that he is God. Um, if you do believe this, is to encourage you and to remind you uh, that Jesus is God in C.S. Lewis's book *Mere Christianity*, uh, he basically kind of spells out uh, if you believe in Jesus and just believe that he was a good moral teacher, um, C.S. Lewis says, "I think you're you're off um, because Jesus would have been a crazy man uh, if he were just a good moral teacher because there are claims that he makes in which he associates himself." Very strongly with God himself. He says this about those who would just say, I like Jesus as a good moral teacher. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. He's talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. You can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Now, why can Lewis make such a strong statement? A statement that says Jesus would never allow us to just call him just a mere man. He shows up in human flesh. But He would never let us call Him just the mere man. I want to talk about just a few things this morning, not all of them, because we don't have time to talk about all of the ways in which Jesus points out to Him being God. But I want to show us a few of them. And the first is this one. is that when we look at Jesus in the way He taught, He taught as somebody with divine authority. He taught as somebody with divine authority. The Sermon on the Mount may be... Um, it really is. When you look at Jesus as kind of a collection of sermons that is put together in the Gospels, the kind of one after the other, the Sermon on the Mount might be Jesus' longest sermon or the one that he preached the most as he traveled from place to place. And in the Sermon on the Mount, you can find it in both Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, what you find Jesus teaching is basically a practical moral ethic for his followers' To live out. And this practical moral ethic, Jesus believes, comes from God. And he's talking probably mostly like to believers in God. So as Jesus talks about this practical moral effort, he is talking to the people of God, and one of the things that he is doing as he does that is he brings in the Word of God and he explains what it means. But Jesus does this in a particular and peculiar way. And here's what I want you, want to show you here. If you go to Matthew 5, 21-22, and it's in your notes, I put this in here for you. You can see all the other places that Jesus did this, too. I want to have them through those in your notes. He says things like this. He says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable of judgment. Now, where is that found? A lot of people know this. Where is that found? Right? Ten Commandments. Okay, so Jesus is quoting the Ten Commandments. And then he has these words to say. But I say to you. And he continues on there. And so what Jesus does is he says, Here's scripture. Here is what God has to say. And then he says, But I say to you. I want you to follow me here, because what Jesus is doing is he is putting his words on par with scripture when he does that he's putting his words on par with scripture he's making his words equal to scripture I know that the scriptures say this but I say to you as he continues later in Matthew he says things like this heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away now who in here believes that everything that they say or the most important things that they say on this earth will never disappear Jesus has the audacity to say that These people believe To are listening to Jesus That the word that is going to endure forever Is the word of God here, And so Jesus here He's saying my words are More important than heaven and earth And will last longer than heaven and earth Itself Other people as they heard Jesus are witness, Were witness to this It says in Matthew 7 28 and 29 the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes not as their scribes Now, what a scribe did did or does is a scribe would translate the word of God and teach the word of God to the people before them and so a scribe would tell the people what God had to say from the Word of God, from the Old Testament, from the book of the law. And so the scribes would come with authority to the people of God and teach them. But the scribes' authority belonged to the scriptures, or that was their source of authority. And so a scribe's job is to come and say, Thus says the Lord. Like God says this to you. And they. Are able to come and say that because they're reading the scriptures. And so when Jesus says, Here's what the scriptures say, but here's what I say, he is doing something completely different than the scribes in a preaching moment or in a teaching moment, or as he says, Thus says the Lord. He's saying, What I say is equal to what the scriptures have to say here, so listen up. Now, this would make Jesus a really pompous teacher. Uh, this would make him uh, somebody who is not very humble at all in the way they teach and somebody who is stepping away from the Word of God itself if he were not God. Some of you uh, know my story. I've, I've told it a, several times, but this is one of the things that have, has brought me back to the Scriptures when I go to teach and preach... And when something is difficult, I give the scriptures the benefit of the doubt. When I want to teach people about who God is, uh, I, I began youth ministry almost eight years ago to the day. Um, and coming out of undergrad, I had been called to ministry, and so I went and I got I got a I got a major in Bible and religion, and and spent most of my time really just studying about the Bible. And I got to be honest with you, um, there was during that time as I was graduating undergrad, I had lost a decent amount of trust in the Bible being authoritative in my life. And about that time, I was starting to go into youth ministry down in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was getting ready to enroll in a seminary because I knew I just had more to learn. And so I'm teaching these young people in this church uh, about God, or at least I'm supposed to be, but... A lot of my ministry at that time when I first started out sounded like Jesus's. Here's what the Word of God has to say. But here's what I have to say about you, about this. Like, I I had just enough like psychology and sociology and history to be dangerous. Right? This is this is what the Bible teaches, but this is what you should really do. Right? This is who you should really be. This is how you should really act. Now, I started to get really troubled about that. Because I wasn't really hired um, or a part of the church uh, to teach people even just how to behave or what I think they should do. Like, I was hired and called to teach people about God. Right? To teach people who God was and who God is.
1: And I was, I'm was i not a very smart guy, but I did know this,
0: that I'm not God, right? And so when I began to change or find my way around what Scripture said, to teach something different than what I believe now is the Word of God, saying, I realized that I was not teaching them about God, that I was teaching them about what Josh likes and dislikes, on what Josh believes. And I had sidestepped the scriptures. You see, Jesus could be doing that, unless he's God. But I don't believe that Jesus is doing that. I don't. Jesus is telling us and he's interpreting for us and he's giving us a vision of what God has meant through his word. One of the reasons that makes me believe this is the way that he treats treats scripture and the things that he says about scripture in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has this to say. He says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, in other words, not a dot, not the dot of the eye, Will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Nothing will pass from what has been written until it is accomplished. That the Old Testament is still the Word of God until Christ returns. Right? Until He comes back. Jesus believed that. Jesus believed it was authoritative. He just believed that his words were just as authoritative. The second thing a reason I believe that we should trust that Jesus is God is this. Is that he's the Son of God. Is that he believed that he was the Son of God. Let's do a little exercise real quick. You are all smart people. Uh, the father of a dog is what? What? What is the father of a dog? dog a dog. Yeah, a dog father. All right. It's a dog. A father of a dog is a dog. All right, so now we're warmed up. The father of a dog is a dog. All right. A uh, father of a dingo is a... I didn't go, alright, I'm just using D words. Um, a father of a duck is a... Alright. The son of God then would be a... God. Alright, so we see how that translated, translates. The son of a chicken is... Lunch.
1: <laughs> all right.
0: yeah. Yeah. So when when Jesus does this... When when Jesus says things like this in John five, he's answering the Jews here who are uh, accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. He just healed a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is working on the Sabbath, and he says he says My Father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus believed that he possessed the same nature as God himself. Just as the son of a dog possesses the same nature as the son of a dog. Jesus possesses the same nature as God does. He He goes around, and one of the reasons that the people are after him is because Jesus goes around and he he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. Look at Matthew with me, Matthew 12. He says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a day that was set aside for us to remember and to think about and to give thanks to God. For. And so what Jesus is doing is he's showing up. And he said, "Hey, you know that day that you you set aside to, to worship, that you set aside to remember um, that God is God and that you are not. Uh, you, you you know you know about all of that." He, he said, "By the way, um, that's about me." He, he said, "That's that's for that's for me. Like you guys, when you're remembering all of that, you're thinking about you're thinking about me." Here, Jesus is claiming to be God. And he does so in a very direct way here in Matthew. He says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Well, what takes place in the temple? Well, worship. Worship takes place in the temple. Uh, if you get down into the details, one of the things that you experience when you went into the temple of God was that you believed that the presence of God was there. Jesus says, hey, you... you you want to be in the presence of God? <laughs> You're looking at Him. I'm here with you. One of the things that you did at the temple is that you offered offerings. You gave offerings to God as guilt sacrifices where you had your sins forgiven. Hey, Jesus says to the people, Hey, you need your sins forgiven? You know that's going to ha- how, how that's going to happen? You're looking at Him. You know who the offering is going to be? You're looking at Him. This is why, too, that Jesus can say that He forgives sins. In Mark 2, here He says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man, by the way, is another term that is, is a term used in Daniel, Daniel 7. I'm not going to go into it for the sake of time, but you can look at it. It's a person, it's this man, this divine man who is going to possess eternal rule over the earth and so Jesus is getting people to think back to Daniel 7 but Jesus here says the son of man has the ability to forgive sins now Matt let's say for a second I can see I see you're not looking up at me Um, but let's say for a second that I wrong you and uh, Jason Matt comes to you And says, Josh has wronged me. He has done this to me. He stole my car. And uh, he took it out of driving and he wrecked it. And he's telling Jason all of this. And then Jason tells Matt, he says, well, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. You know. And Matt, or, or excuse me, i got to get this right. So Matt did it to me now, all right? If he's going to go to him and ask Jason for forgiveness. So Matt, Matt has stole my car now, so I'm ticked at Matt. And Matt goes to Jason, and Matt is telling him all of this and telling Jason how bad all of this was and how he needs forgiveness for this. And he goes to Jason for forgiveness instead of me. And Jason tells Matt, I forgive you. All of this has been forgiven. Now what would Matt say? Well, that's weird. I didn't know I needed forgiveness from you, Jason. I didn't steal your car. I didn't wreck your car. And what am I going to say about it? If He needs to come to me. The point I'm trying to make here is that unless Jesus is the one who is being sinned against, right? why would does He have authority to forgive sins? What Jesus is saying here. And what we're all taught, and what was taught throughout the Old Testament, is when we sin, not only are we wronging the person that we might sin against, but in fact we're dishonoring a holy God who created that person and who loves that person. And so when you're sinning against that person, you are sending, You are doing something against God Himself. You are offending God Himself. And so not only do you need forgiveness from that person, You need forgiveness from God. And this is what Jesus is offering here. And this is the statement that Jesus is making. Lewis again says in Mere Christianity, For Jesus to forgive sin only makes sense if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. In the mouth of any speaker who is not God, these words would imply what I can only regard as silliness and conceit unrivaled by any other character in history. So how did the people, how did the people react to Jesus making these statements and doing these things? Well, in John 5, you can see that the people wanted to kill him for it. And so I want to remind you here, I want to remind all of us and remind the world that Jesus was crucified for claiming that he was God. Jesus was crucified for claiming that he was God. Look, in John 10. Reminds us of this as well As we move through the book of John Jesus says this statement I am, the fa- I am the Father and one The Jews picked up stones then again To stone him Jesus answered them I have shown you many good works From the Father For which of them are you going to stone me Jesus was, why are you going to kill me This is why The Jews answered him It is not for good works That we are going to stone you But for blasphemy Well what kind of blasphemy Are they talking about here Because you, being a man, make yourself God. I think a common misconception about why Jesus was killed is because he's an insurrectionist. He was here to overthrow the government, the Roman government at the time, and and lead people and, and free people out of the bondage of the Roman government. Now, that certainly happens, but that was not Jesus' primary purpose. Jesus' primary purpose was to teach people about who God was and who God is. And that's why Jesus showed up here. And so when Jesus shows up and makes Himself God here, the people want to kill Him because they know that this is blasphemy. This is the one thing that you don't do, is to claim to be God. What's interesting here is that when they bring Jesus to Pilate, they've kind of already started this process of walking him out to be crucified. And he's in front of Pilate. Pilate is the governor here at the time. And he was overseeing the area on behalf of the Roman Empire. And this is what Pilate has to say about Jesus as a representative for the Romans. He brings brings Jesus out to the crowd here because he's trying to get Jesus pardoned. And so he brings them out and this is what he says. He says, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Why are you wanting to kill him? This, This man seems to be innocent enough to me. Why do you want to kill him? Pilate said to them again, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I don't want anything to do with this because I find no guilt in him. So why is Jesus killed? The Jews answer him. We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. You see, Jesus could have easily stopped this. All he would have did, the only thing he would have needed to say, to say at this moment is that I'm not God. I'm not God. And he wouldn't have had to endure the cross. But Jesus never makes that statement. Instead, He goes to the cross to show that He is God. The, third, or the fourth and, and final thing that I want you to consider this morning and just be reminded of is that Jesus received worship. And I think this might be one of the better proofs for us and one of the things to open our eyes maybe more than any of this is this idea that Jesus received worship how would you react how would you react to worship so let's say for a moment here uh, that all the songs we sang this morning were about you all right? uh... that um, the prayer we gave this morning was to you and your father and we acknowledge your spirit in it let's say that we decided to build a building um, And uh, make it in honor of you, like it's going to be all about you, and people are going to come, and they're going to sing, uh, they're going to worship your name, and they're going to read a book that tells everybody about you. How would you feel about that? Now, some of you might even finance something like that. Um, But like most of us, we're going to feel a little awkward. Uh, Some of us, like we're not going to want this to happen at all. How did the people who knew Jesus and walked with Jesus think about this? Well, in Acts 14, we're actually given a glimpse of what people did when they were worshipped who followed Jesus. Paul and Barnabas, they're in Lystra, and they have just prayed over a man, and a man was healed, who was crippled and these people in this area get together and they're elated because they believe some gods have shown up and so they're, a, they're, they're getting a worship service ready and they're getting the town together to go to Paul and Barnabas to worship them. And I want to show you how Paul and Barnabas react to this because they were there to tell people about Jesus. Here's how they react. He says, but when the apostles, apostles in Acts 14, 14 and 15, but when the apostles, I can't even say that uh, uh, the apostles, excuse me, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothes in dismay. And re- now, how many, if, if somebody is going to worship you, like how many of you are going to start taking your clothes off, right? You're going to be so upset you're tearing your clothes off. This is what they're doing. This is how much they did not want this to happen. They started taking their clothes off, tearing it off, and ran out to the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? Look, we're human. We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring the good news so that you should turn from these worthless things, so that you should turn from the things that are created, so you should turn... From the things that you own So you should turn from believing That people can bring you satisfaction And rather Turn to the living God Who made the heavens And the earth And the sea And everything in them Paul and Barnabas preached and taught And went around Teaching people to turn to Jesus The creator of the heavens And the earth And everything else That they could see and they ran from people wanting to worship to anything else now how did jesus react to worship some of you know the story of when jesus walked on water well before jesus walked on water he had just fed the 5000 he had taken a couple of loaves and a couple of fish and he had fed 5000 people with just a, just a little bit and Jesus believed that one of the most important things in our lives that you could do is to retreat and pray. And Jesus had been around the crowds, and um, he had been worshipped. Jesus was somewhat of a rock star during this time. If you can feed five thousand people, um, you know a lot of people are going to like you. And so Jesus basically needs some time alone from God. And so he tells the disciples, "Hey, you go out on the boat. You guys head out. I'll catch up." I always wondered like how the like what the disciples thought Jesus would do to catch up to him. But he basically tells them, You go, I'll find you at some point. Jesus went off by himself to pray. Well, as the disciples are out on the boat, uh, a storm hits, and um, the boat is rocking back and forth and so forth, and so I guess Jesus decides that he's had enough prayer time and starts walking out to the disciples about this time. And Peter looks out to Jesus, and he basically says, Hey, Jesus, is, is that you? Is that you? And Jesus says, yeah, get out of the boat and come walk towards me. This is the setting and which Matthew 14, beginning in verse 29 through 33, uh, is taking place. And I, I want you to follow me here. As Jesus calls Peter out of the boat, this is what we're told. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out. Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, worship only seems proper here because Jesus is seen as having control over and power over creation. See, one of the things that this story reminds us of is that Jesus is the Creator. That He's able to create the wind and that He's able to stop the wind. That He's able to walk on the water that He created. One of the things that we should notice as well here is that this story stops right after those in the boat worshipped Him, saying, Surely you are the Son of God. It doesn't go on and say, Jesus said, No, don't worship Me. Right? Right? Stop that. Whereas in Acts we have a completely different type of story. Paul and Barnabas inviting people in to worship Jesus and not themselves. You see, Jesus received this worship because he believed he was God. I want to conclude this morning by asking, having us ask this question: Why is it important? Why is it important for us to know this? Like what, so what's what's the application here Josh to know that Jesus is God and here's all I want you to know this morning if you are a believer in Christ if you have placed your faith in Christ if you are walking with Jesus you are walking with God you are walking with God this morning right? if you have placed your faith in Jesus that God is with you God is with you this morning. We know that God loves us through Jesus because He came to show it by dying for us and then rising again on the third day, giving us hope, reminding us that there's eternal life, that no matter the storm that you are walking through right now, that there's a time where it's going to cease, that Jesus is always ready to reach out His hand and grab you and take you back into the boat. This is, this is for you. This is something that you need to remind yourself of daily. That Jesus is God and that He is walking with you. For those who may be considering Jesus this morning, I want to be honest with you. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is God. It does. I can give you all of these proofs. I can, even, I can tell you all of these things that Jesus said about Himself. But it's up to you to believe it or not. To receive it. It's up to you to answer that question of who is Jesus? And is He God? And then make the decision. If He is God, what do I do with Him? Right. So if, if, if Jesus is God, how do I treat Him? How does this change my life? What do I need to start doing now to show that Jesus is God. Here's the thing, over half of the American people believe that Jesus is God. But do over half of the American people treat Jesus as if he is God? Do you treat Jesus as if he is God? Are you ready to get out of the boat and start walking towards him? this isn't just for people who are considering Jesus this is for all of us who even think that we have considered Jesus are we ready to get out of the boat and start walking towards him in the midst of the storm or are we just going to stay in the boat where it's comfortable it may be rocky and it may be a little uncomfortable but we're not going to get out and actually go to Jesus if he calls here's the thing to really follow Jesus we have to exhibit the faith and we have to step out and start walking towards him yes doubts will come there are times when you are going to think but Jesus is going to step out and he's going to give you He's going to reach out his hand. The only thing that we need to do is exhibit enough faith. One of the things that Peter does, even as he starts to doubt, he says what? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He reaches out to Jesus and Jesus reaches out to him. We cannot merely just treat Jesus, or we cannot merely just check off a box when a pollster calls and asks you if you believe that Jesus is God. We also have to treat him as such. If you want Jesus to change your life, if you want him to really walk you through the storm, if you want him to calm the storm, you've got to treat him as God. This means that you might have to change your life and really decide to walk towards him, to answer him when he calls. To submit to Him when He asks you to follow Him. To change your life when He asks you to change your life. If Jesus is God, He deserves this. You see, the people there, they started worshiping Jesus before He calmed the boat. Our worship of Jesus always starts with our faith in Him. And our walk towards Him. And our calling out to Him to save us. If you are thinking about this morning, or if you are trying to decide on whether or not to follow Jesus, I'm just going to encourage you to make that decision this morning. If you have a storm that you need to, you need some help being walked through. That you need some guidance in. Why don't you? Why don't you ask Jesus? Jesus, save me. Save me from my. From my situation, save me from this mess that I've gotten myself in. Save me from the direction that I am walking in right now. And might you give me the strength to follow you and to follow after you? As the worship team comes, we're going to sing. Uh, we're going to sing one last song here, and then we're going to take our ties and offering. And I know that, like when we think of worship, we think of song, right? We think of song. Um, and this is good. I love to sing to Jesus. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've gotten to do uh, and have gotten to learn. Is that I've, as I've placed my faith in Jesus and I've, I've walked with Him, as I've said to Jesus a number of times, Lord, save me. He has walked through me with the storm, in the storm. And not only that, He has calmed the storm enough times enough times where I'm able to worship Jesus. Like, you know, it's easy for me to sing to Jesus. But it's just one form of worship. It's one form of worship. The song is an expression of what God has been doing and has done in our lives. And so if you think, like, to worship Jesus, you have to just be singing these songs at the top of your lungs or whatever, and that's the only form of worship, I'm just going to tell you it's not. Your worship is going to start it's going to start right now. It's going to start by you placing your faith in Jesus. It's going to ask it's going to start by you walking towards Jesus. And it's going to continue as it's going to continue through the moment of in your doubt, in your troubles, when you continue to cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. The music will come. These other expressions of worship will come. Because you'll discover how Jesus is calming the storm and how He walks you through the storm. And so this morning, maybe um, during this song, I don't know, maybe there's some storms of life that you are going through and you just need to be reminded that God is with you. If you want to come and come to the altars and pray, one of the pastors will pray with you to remind you that God is with you through this moment and through the storm. We know that God has come. We know that God has cared cares for us because he has sent Jesus his son to show us that you know it's true because the spirit is witnessing to you right now and so I invite you during this song to come do that um, maybe you need to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and say you know what I'm going to get out of the boat this morning if you would have asked me pastor I would have checked off the box like Jesus is God and I'm glad, you, I'm glad that you would have done that Uh, But here's the thing. Uh, You also need to be able to answer, answer this question. So what am I going to do with that? How am I going to treat Jesus? Am I going to follow Him? Am I going to step out of the boat? Am I going to ask Him to save me? We are told that Jesus saves us from our sins. He saves us from the punishment we deserve. But Jesus also helps walk us out of the troubles of life that we are in and we often create ourselves. And so maybe you want to reach out to Jesus this morning and step out of the boat and decide to follow Him for the first time. I encourage you to do that. If you want to come forward and pray at the altar as you do that, I welcome you to do that. One of the pastors will come and pray with you. At the very least, please let me know that you've decided to do that this morning on your connection card when we take offering because we want to connect with you we want to help you we want to disciple you we want to help you walk with Jesus we want to help you change your life because we believe that Jesus does that you take a moment and pray with me this morning as we end our time together Father we thank you we thank you because we know that we have a God who has not left us here on our own who has, who has come in the name of Jesus who has revealed You to us. We thank you that we know that we worship a God who loves us, who cares for us, that walks with us in the storm. We're thankful, Father, that all we are called to do is to have faith that you are the one who calms the storm. Father, this morning, I pray that we are all reminded that you are with us, that you are walking with us. I pray, Father, for those who are going to place their faith in you for the first time. I pray that you help them step out of the boat. That they leave behind all of the voices that are telling them, well, you don't really need all of Jesus. You don't really need to worship Him give all of your life to Him Father, might they leave those voices behind And might they start walking towards You Might they ask You to save them And might You do just that Father, as we sing this morning, we pray that you are worshipped. You are worshipped as many of us go through storms and as many of us celebrate the calm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.